This year, we are all looking for the perfect holiday gift. And today I want to tell you about the gallery. The Gallery Shop is a curated collection of photographs from all around the world. All prints are made from 100% recycled aluminum, giving your wall that gallery finish. Right now, for the holiday season, the Gallery is exclusively offering our listeners 25% off your next purchase using code FRIDAY. That's 25% off your next purchase at thegallery.com. That's G-A-L-R-Y using the code FRIDAY. The Gallery. Create your perfect space. Hello and welcome to Yule Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Smooch is aggressively rubbing against a box, which I <laughs> am interpreting as good morning as well. Good morning to you, Smooch. Yeah, we are once again recording early in the morning as I have lots of fun holiday things that I have to do this afternoon. I don't have any plans. <laughs> Wee! I'll probably go back to bed with my golden retriever. Wee! Speaking of Willie, by this time, the sale has ended. And I wanted to thank everybody who took part in purchasing the limited edition Willie merch to benefit Can Do Canines. Once I have the final numbers of the money we wait, the, the money we raised. Speaking is hard this morning. I will share that. So thank you to everyone who purchased Willie's face. Yeah, thank you. I'm actually really excited. Mine should be arriving. We'll see. I, it like was in my state and now it's in two states away and now it's coming back. So hopefully it comes back and we'll post it on social media when we have all of our Willie swag because I'm pretty sure almost everyone in our family is going to have Willie's face. We're doing really well today. We are killing it. We are so successful in making a podcast. So we're considered, oh my God. <laughs> we are continuing Mercember slash Dismurder. Oh yeah. I should put a poll out and see what people like better because it's dumb. When you say Mercember, I just think of mermaids. <laughs> That's literally all I I'm like, mermaids? <laughs> mermaids in olden times. Yay. <laughs> Killing all do, the people. We should do a mermaid episode. Do a siren episode. I'll add it to the list. But we should we should do that like when it's close to like Renaissance Festival time. In like September. Beware of the sirens that are in those creepy tanks that they make at <laughs> <laughs> festival. That are so dirty. Where do these tanks come from? Why do they travel with them? It's kind of creepy. Very sexed on Jenny. It's how they transmit disease. Speaking of disease, today's topic is we are going to be discussing, and I, I didn't translate any of this shit, so hopefully I'm saying it right. Juliana... Tofana. Ooh. And she's the one that you recommended. Oh, she's the makeup one? Yes. Yes. You guys, this is the most prolific poisoner in all of history. Yes. Yeah. It's going to be a wild ride. 
And like she probably killed even way more people than we think. Because mm-hmm. people didn't write, she didn't write that down. Yeah, she didn't keep track. Dear diary. I murdered five more people. <laughs> awesome. I'm ready. All right. So information for this episode was pulled from the following sources. A 2020 sci-fi article by Jessica Toomer. 2020 Ancient Origins article by B.B. Wagner. A 2018 Weird History article by Genevieve Carlton. An All That's Interesting article. History Collection article. And Wikipedia. Yay. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. Julia Tofana, one of Italy's most famous poisoners, is believed to have been born in Palermo, Sicily in 1620 to Francis and Tofania D'Amato. As I mentioned, I have not Google translated any of this stuff. So if I am mispronouncing anything in Italian, you're welcome. (laughs) Awesome. Her mother had a bit of a reputation. And when Julia was just 13 years old, she was executed on July 12th. 1633 for the murder of her husband via shocker poison. What kind of poison? I don't know. Just poison. (laughs) As punishment, she was drawn and quartered, which is horrifying. Wow. For poisoning her husband? Yep. And we're going to get real gross for two seconds before we get back. So for people who don't know what that means, Oh, no. Drawing and quartering was the punishment enacted primarily on people who had committed treason, which at that time was considered worse than murder in capital offenses. The term comes from drawing the convicted to the gallows, most often by horse, before the body would be hung until they were nearly dead, then they would be disemboweled and castrated, if you had a penis, before being beheaded, and finally have your body cut into four pieces. Yep. This, I think we would all agree, barbaric practice was done publicly and started in 1352 and was last used in 1782 before it was finally abolished in 1867. Damn. I didn't realize they like clung to it for that long. Yeah. 1867 really is not that far off from us. Nope. Think about it. Nope. Especially when you like... Think of all the like cutesy little companies that are like established in 1902. Yep. So yeah, gross. That was a thing. I also found out that the the act of drawing them was different. Like drawing them by horse could be like like they were dragged mm-hmm. by the horse to help kind of start that process a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super cool. And that was just for poisoning. Mm-hmm. Wow. Italy is no joke. Mm -hmm. They're serious about their stuff. All right. Moving on. (laughs) Years later, Julia herself became a widow. And along with her daughter, Girolama Spera, also known as Astrologa della Lungara. Ooh. She was a psychic? I think she was a fortune teller. Yeah. Like, I heard astrology. I don't know. There wasn't any record of it, but we're going to go with fortune teller. Awesome. She moved to Sicily, then Naples, before continuing on to Rome. Hmm. Nice. Fun fact. Italy in the 17th century wasn't great for women. (gasps) What? I mean... I know! What a shock! Every place everywhere was great for women. What do you mean? You were basically no better than cattle 
and often just sold to the highest bidder with the hope and prayer that you wouldn't find yourself in an abusive and loveless marriage. Well, people still hoped for that with that kind of practice. Well, I mean, what else are you going to do? Okay. Women at that time had zero power and really very few paths in life. You could be married off, stay single and turn to the sex trade to survive or join the church as a nun. You could become a servant for the rest of your life or get married and become a widow. You can probably see where this is going. Yeah. Honestly, that's the best option. (laughs) Yep. I can see where this is going. Yep. Luckily for the ladies of Italy and most European cities at the time, it was easier than you might think to choose widowdom with a little help from the underground community of alchemists, apothecaries, and quote-unquote dark arts experts available. Witches. (laughs) Wizards. Lightning bolt, lightning bolt. (laughs) Death. I remember that video. Lightning bolt, lightning bolt. Instead, dark arts practitioners weren't quite what their name implied, with several actually performing necessary services that regular medical practitioners at the time refused to do, such as abortions. Yeah, that makes sense. They also sold blessing ingredients, provided love potions, Mm -hmm. and acted as middlemen who sold all manner of black market charms, books on magic or fortune telling, and more. Wow. I would shop here. Mm Mm-hmm. Julia's network provided these popular magical items, as well as more obscure items like magic wands, incense. Mm, smelly. <laughs> grimoires? Grimoires? I don't know. What are those? Like Books of the Dead. Oh, I don't know how to say that. Grim- grimoires? I'm going to say grimoires. There you go. Okay. And maybe it'll go in the cubby. I don't know. It's definitely going in the cubby. Yeah, it's going in the cubby. I should know how to say it, but I don't. And super gross items like breast milk and dried menses blood. What's the dried blood for? I don't know. Like a Simba moment? I don't know. Mm. Maybe it went into a love potion. Drink my blood. The blood of the children you will have soon. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) can you taste how fertile I am? (laughs) i will bear you many sons oh my god love me (laughs) i will bear you many sons (laughs) depending on like if it was sweet or savory was the gender the forced gender of your child shortly after their arrival to rome julia began to sell a lethal concoction to the abused and loveless women of the city Utilizing a network of reliable and trusted women led by her daughter, Julia quickly gained a reputation as a friend to troubled women. According to Ancient Origins, Julia reportedly worked with Francesca Lasarda, a cunning woman who used to work with Julia's mom. Nice. Their time together was short-lived, however, as she was found guilty of and executed for the same crime as Julia's mother in February of 1634. Okay, so I didn't realize before when... I had asked for this story, how risky it actually was to do poison, mm-hmm. like poisonings, like it's a really aggressive punishment. Yeah. Like, I mean, it is, it is murder. Like, let's not, that just seems really intense. So I wonder if it happened just a lot and they had to do a really aggressive punishment to try to thwart other people from doing it, but it obviously didn't work. Yeah. 
Julia acquired another assistant named Giovanna de Grandi, who worked primarily with the lower classes on Julia's behalf. I don't want to talk to them. You talk to them. <laughs> well, I don't think she really talked to anybody. I think she just used her no, network. I think so. Too. It sounds like that. It sounds like she was just the creator and then mm-hmm. salespeople, which is a smart way to go about it. Mm-hmm. It'd be difficult to pin it back to her, which is probably why she was so successful. Yep. As her business continued to grow, Julia was careful to only sell her products to women that she knew or who were vetted by some of her most trusted past clients. This could include those who were rich and powerful and those who were poor or middle class. So she kind of catered to everyone. That's really nice. Because honestly, like the poor and middle class were probably the more heavily abused, Mm -hmm. more um, stuck. Yes. It's believed that she may have also received help from the church, specifically a local Roman priest named Father Girolamo, who secretly aided her and her fellow poisoners. But again, information on his supposed involvement is circumspect. Mm -hmm. If the rumors are to be believed, Father Girolamo of St. Agnes in Agone supplied the arsenic that Julia needed to craft her poisons, poisons that were cleverly disguised as women's cosmetics. Nice. In fact, it soon became well known that if one was looking to be single again or to combat blemishes, all she needed was a bottle of Julia's famous aqua tofana face cream or oil. Mm, They had face creams back then. Mm -hmm. Interesting. The beauty of her crimes were the fact that they were so easily concealed. One would hardly expect to find poison amidst a lady's makeup, perfumes, and lotions. Mm-hmm. That's very true, because then, like, the women will be poisoning themselves. Mm-hmm. How dumb. How stupid of them, you dumb women. Mm-hmm. You dumb, stupid women. The street name for the concoction was Aqua Tofana, but the bottle itself was labeled as Mana of St. Nicholas of Bari, and noted as a popular healing oil for blemishes. And I bet they had a lot of blemishes back then because they really did not bathe regularly. And I can't imagine, like, they didn't have soft water no. <laughs> or a filtration system. No. Oh, I can't imagine the color of the water. Yeah, gross. Brown, taupe, off-white. Gross. I wonder if those were, like, the the colors of her makeup, yeah. whatever the water was. Milky waste. Yeah. <laughs> it. Despite its benign appearance, aqua tofana was a powerful poison. Colorless and tasteless, four to six drops could easily kill a man. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. So she was doing a lot of, like, cultivating Mm -hmm. to make that happen. The best part was that the poison itself was undetectable, even after death, as it mimicked common diseases of the day and killed its intended victims slowly over a number of days. Cool. Yeah, I bet there was some sort of plague or horrible flu. Administered via liquid, such as tea or wine, the first dose would cause the victim to become weak and easily exhausted. The second would cause symptoms such as extreme thirst, stomach aches, vomiting, and even dysentery-like symptoms like diarrhea. Oh my god. That would be, I mean, how many people did die of dysentery, you know? Pepto-Bismol didn't exist, so they just literally pooped themselves to death. Who knows? What a way to go. So awful. Damn. 
The poison was designed specifically as a means to create a slow death, allowing the victim time to get their affairs in order, ensuring their future widow would be suitably settled after their death. Oh, so nice. Thanks, abusive jerk face. The third and fourth doses would be administered over the next several days, allowing the man to finally pass. It is believed that belladonna, a plant commonly used in other well-known cosmetics of the day, was also an ingredient in Julia's famous product. Mm-hmm. Why belladonna, you might ask? One of the side effects of using belladonna was dilated pupils, which was a popular beauty standard during the Renaissance. Interesting. Nightshade, however, if used in lethal doses, could cause blindness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, belladonna is an opioid. And you may be wondering... With so many men seemingly dying of the same sort of unknown illness, how was Julia not found out sooner? I am curious. The answer can be found in an 1890 article of the Chambers Journal. Quote, to save her fair fame, the wife would demand a postmortem examination. Result, nothing, except that the woman was able to pose as a slandered innocent, and then it would be remembered that her husband died without either pain, inflammation, fever, or spasms. If, after this, the woman within a year or two formed a new connection, nobody could blame her, end quote. It's like the perfect crime. It really is. It, like, truly, especially since, like, there was no, there's no way for them to do any sort of, like, running of the chemicals, you know? Yeah. That's really smart. (laughs) Yeah. For someone who's not allowed to read. Yeah. Many accounts acknowledge that Julia was able to successfully fool authorities for several decades throughout Italy in the 17th century. She may have even continued to be undiscovered, if not for one woman and an uneaten bowl of soup. Was her name Karen? Soup. She couldn't, she couldn't make the right flavor of soup. What happened? I don't know. Okay. In 1650, one of Julia's customers prepared a bowl of soup laced with aqua tofana for her husband. Mm-hmm. Before he'd had a chance to take a sip, she changed her mind and begged her husband not to eat any of it. Really? She could just say that she put too much salt in it. Obviously, this raised suspicion, and the man beat his wife until she confessed to putting poison in his food. Furious, he turned her into the Papal police, and after receiving even more torture and abuse from the authorities, she admitted to purchasing aqua tofana from Julia. How did she know it was Julia? She didn't work with the middle middle woman? Well, I mean, her last name is part of the poison itself. So. I know, but what if there were a lot of Tafanas? They didn't have a phone book. I don't know. Weird. Knowing the police were now looking for her, Julia was able to escape to a local church and beg for sanctuary, which she was granted. That is, until a rumor came out that she was using her famous poison to taint the local water supply. Oh, no. At that, the church had no choice but to allow the government to take her into custody. Julia was brutally tortured upon her arrest and eventually confessed to aiding in the deaths of up to 600 men over the course of 18 years between 1633 and 1651. Wow. Legend states that Julia was executed in Campo di Fiori in Rome in July of 1659, along with her daughter and three of her most trusted and reliable helpers. 40 of her lower-class customers were also executed, while women of higher standing were either sent to jail, bricked into the dungeons of the Palazzo Pucci, or escaped punishment entirely by claiming that they never knew the cosmetics they'd purchased were actually poisonous. Wow. Being bricked in would be a horrible way to die. 
Yeah. You would never know when it would end. Nope. Jeez. Some accounts state that Julia ran her business much longer than this and wasn't actually captured, tortured, and executed until 1709. But she would have been soups old if that was the case. And 90% of my sources did not corroborate that information. So Mm. I'm going to call bullshit. Yeah. Julia's legacy influenced one of the most famous murder plots in history, the Affair of the Poisons in France, that led to the attempted murder of King Louis XIV. Whoa. Mm -hmm. There were rumors that Julia's poison lived on well after her death and was actually used a century later to kill famous composer Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, who fell ill at the age of 35 and passed on December 5th, 1791. What? He's quoted as saying, quote, I feel definitely that I will not last much longer. I am sure that I have been poisoned. I cannot rid myself of this idea. Someone has given me aqua tofana and calculated the precise time of my death. End quote. Whoa. However fanciful, there isn't much evidence to back up Mozart's claim. It's more likely he died of either syphilis, rheumatic fever, or from eating undercooked pork. Yeah. I mean, you could have died so many ways back then. Yeah. They did everything wrong. Yeah. Everything they did was wrong. <laughs> Pretty much. The exact recipe that Julia used was never recorded. Makes sense. Yeah. Historians believe that her famous aqua tofana was a mixture of lead, arsenic, mercuric chloride, and belladonna. Damn. All of which were common ingredients in cosmetics throughout the 17th century. I can't believe they used belladonna, like an opiate. I mean, well, I'm not that surprised, but yeah, having dilated eyes all the time. It was supposed to make you look like you were constantly in love with people. Gross. One twist to using belladonna is the fact that the plant has become synonymous with the ideal of a beautiful femme fatale, earning itself the nickname Deadly Nightshade. Ooh. Is that how the farmers of belladonna, belladonna advertised it? Deadly Nightshade. Deadly Nightshade. Sexy. Sophisticated. Dangerous. Beautiful. Drugs. <laughs> and that is the story of Julia Tofana. Wow. I had no idea the punishments were that intense. I wonder yeah. if, it, if it must have been really common at first. If it was just so common and people were like poisoning willy nilly and then they had to get super aggressive because people just did it. Yeah. Well, I didn't see in my research how she and her um, helpers and her daughter were executed. I believe it was they were hung mm. or hanged, but it didn't say anywhere that they were tortured, executed to the extent that her mother was. So still like being bricked in for buying it. Yeah, that's effed up, man. Yeah, that that's a whole new level to the war on drugs. <laughs> like... <laughs> That's a that's a dare program I do not wish to participate yeah. in. McGruff would not approve. No. Oh, he would probably be able to smell the corpses. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bunch of bodies behind this wall and that <laughs> wall and that one over there. Man. Don't do drugs, kids. Don't do drugs. <laughs> Don't buy drugs. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Pineapple Pizza Podcast, where we serve up delicious slices of mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends. Ashley is the Mythbuster. 
Tiresias is finally just like, it was you, okay? (laughs) Waterboard him with this magical gem that is not a testicle. (laughs) Emily is a cryptid hunter. And it's this guy that's bending over and farting into the face of this absolutely horrified (laughs) cat. But the cat is like, no! (laughs) In some stories, this long, narrow sheet of cotton is also your roll of toilet paper. But it's evil toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) And Lindsay is the storyteller. Put your trays in the upright position. We're flying back over to northern Italy for a fun little legend that will have you rethinking water sports. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Am I pretty? I think I'm a snack. And she'd be like, what's a snack? Do you have candy? Pineapple Pizza Podcast. Stop on by for a slice, a story, and a laugh. Coming January 2021. All right. So who's our podcast this week? This week's podcast plug is the Pineapple Pizza Podcast. Hey, self-plug. Yep. A new show coming January 2021, hosted by Ashley from Setting Scarlet, Emily from Drink Drunk Dead, and me, Lindsay, from Ye Old Crime. Yay! Each month, we'll cover the mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends of a new area, with the first triptych covering Japan. Nice. You can subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. And get ready for a slice of something awesome. Why pineapple pizza? Because we're sweet and cheesy and not everyone understands our awesomeness. Oh, nice. I like it. This week's question is from Ariel of the Malice podcast. Okay. She wants to know, are there particular types of cases you gravitate more towards personally? Ooh. Do you want to go first? No. So why do you gravitate towards certain crimes, stories? I like investigating stories that cover unusual murders, such as, I mean, like poisoning obviously is kind of fascinating because they were able to get away with it so often back in the day. Mm -hmm. But there are also some pretty crazy ways that people were murdered. And some of the stories that we cover, you know, are unsolved or the way things went down in the backstory to some of these crimes are just bananas. So stuff like that, I'm more drawn towards just because they're interesting to research and talk about. Yeah, I think I think I'm attracted to um, cases that aren't super cut and dry ones that like have a lot of room for conjecture, Mm -hmm. like what could have happened. I also think that's how I kind of cope with the more intense ones. Mm-hmm. Like the one with Fanny Adams. Yeah, that was really bad. Be not knowing, like you knew you knew how she died, but you didn't know like the nitty gritty details and like like from the killer himself kind yeah. of thing. So that may, I I think I think it makes it easier to process because it's it's something that I, I've always been interested in. But I also am super strange in the, like I hate gore. Yeah. So I won't watch horror movies and zombie stuff. and But I listen to murders all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because I, I don't have to experience the gore of it in that way. Like listening to it or reading it, you can kind of make your own vision in your head. Yeah. Makes it easier. Yeah. Because I think these are all worth knowing about. Yeah. Do you have something good you'd like to share this week? Something good. I successfully made a pot roast. <laughs> Woohoo! I don't 
make a lot of meat forward meals generally since living alone it's not really my thing i tend to get my protein from like eggs and dairy nuts and stuff so i wanted to make a pot roast because uh, my boyfriend and i have been together for six months already and it seems insane that that's happened and we both laughed at it i was like did you think we'd still be dating by now and he was like no <laughs> like did you and I was like absolutely not because we're very we're very different but I guess the pandemic decided that we should try it out and it's been successful and we're happy and we got each other nerf guns for Christmas and so when he comes over I'll buzz him in and then I'll put a loaded nerf gun in the door so we can just like fight immediately I will say I, I was pretty proud. The first, our first ever battle, I shot him in the neck and it looked like he had like a, a horrifying hickey as his grandfather made a comment and he was like, he shot, she shot me with a Nerf gun. And he, he was like a likely story. And I was like, <laughs> a likely story. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's fun. How about you? What's a good thing this week for you? A good thing this week is I have 90 five percent of my holiday shopping done that's really good so i only have a couple last minute gifts that i need to pick up and i'm probably going to get that done today so by the time this comes out hopefully i will have been done with all my holiday shopping that's very exciting mm -hmm. holiday shopping is stressful oh can i have a second good thing sure no so <laughs> <laughs> you can only be happy once so I never had a tree. I never get trees because I always have, a, I have a small apartment and I always associate Christmas trees with like gifts underneath. And I would always bring my gifts to mom and dad's because that's where we would celebrate Christmas. So I just didn't get stuff that. And like, I had a cat for a long time that would like eat anything. And I knew he would like, tr his fat butt would try to like climb in and break it and it'd be awful. Well, Rufus unfortunately passed away in May this year and Mike celebrates Yule. And he was like, are you going to get a tree? And I was like, no. <laughs> it was really like, I don't like things because I like to have like, I, I like to be fairly minimalistic in my stuff because I just have a small space and mm -hmm. I don't see the reason for collecting if you move a lot. Mm -hmm. But I got a tiny tree for $10 at Walmart and I showed it to him and he was really like thankful for it. And it just has lights like mom and dad both tried to convince me to get like all these different ornaments and half of the ornaments were bigger than the tree. Like <laughs> it's small, but it's been a little baby tree and I like him. So I don't know. I, I kind of don't want ornaments ever. I might be okay with doing like a tree topper. If I give you a little tree skirt, will you use it? Maybe. I bought one for this little tree that I got to put up in my office. Obviously, I'm not in my office right now because yeah. COVID. Not, not till June. So I actually went into work and grabbed it and all of the like little ornaments that I had bought for it because my youngest wanted to have a tree in her room. And I was like, well, you can use it because I can't. Yeah. And I bought a tree skirt for it, forgetting that it was in this like decorative little pail thing. Oh, it's a, okay. it's a fake tree. So she's not using it. And I was like, oh, well, this it's a cute little tree skirt. So yeah, I got it in like the dollar spot. So if you want it, you can have nice. it. Nice. Yeah. I think I might look for a tree topper and maybe I'll just get a new tree topper every year. But I like, I like how simple it is. I don't think it needs a bunch of ornaments. Mm -mm. It just needs lights. 
Pretty little lights. Yep. And it's probably for the best so that Smoosh doesn't try to like knock them over or something and play with them. Yeah. She's she's been really destructive. She like plays a lot more now that Rufus is gone. She's like kind of reverted back to being a kitten. So she destroys everything all the time. She's cool like that. She's super cool like that. <laughs> so shall we? Mm-hmm. All right. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. You can email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. We like gifts. We do. You can send us some. What if we get a P.O. box? Maybe next year. Okay. I have to look and see how expensive they are. Yeah, and I I still don't have a post office. It's in the Kmart. Gross. I know. I really don't want to go to a P.O. box in Kmart. <laughs> no. It'd be better if we had one where I live. Yep. I'd be much safer. Yep. Much nicer neighborhood because it's right behind the library. Yep. Not to geolocate myself. But. Well, I just, I definitely did since I said it was in a Kmart, but it's fine. I'm sure there are lots of post offices in Kmarts. Hey, that's fine. Um, yeah. If you'd like to support the show, you can give a one-time donation on Buy Me a Coffee, which is great. And it helps mm-hmm. us a little bit. You can also join our Patreon for as low as $5 a month. We have lots of fun bonus content. We post early ad-free access to our episodes. We also have video outtakes from our episodes that aren't published anywhere else. And we look gross like all the time. So laugh at our, but pay us and laugh at our faces. <laughs> it's, it's bad. I'll let you laugh at me for money. <laughs> Make fun of my unwashed face and horrible hair. And we also include links to episodes where we have guested on other podcasts. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of easy for you to find that sort of content. You can also support the show by purchasing merch on our Public store. This week, there's going to be a sale from December 16th to the 18th. You can get up to 30% off. And lastly, a free way to support the show and one that is almost, I would argue, infinitely better than all the others is to leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. It's a great way to support the show by making us more discoverable to a larger audience. Telling your friends and family about the podcast is also a great way to support the show. Yeah. Or even just like messaging, messaging us on social is also a really nice way to support the show by letting us know that you listen and you like the show and you care about what we have to say yeah it's very heartwarming we appreciate it mm-hmm. it goes in our special drive of warm things yeah warm and fuzzy things so when we're sad we can look at it and we're like oh people like us yeah and as always i'm Lindsay, and i'm madison and we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime <laughs>